That wasn't very exciting. Let me try that again. Good evening! Good evening! Welcome! I am so glad all of you guys are here tonight. Uh, the whole sample crew is out of town. They are enjoying a family camping trip. So, you guys get me tonight! building. Anybody in the building? Okay. Well, I challenge you guys this Sunday, show up a little bit early. Head on over to the administration building and get some Bible time. It's really awesome because it's a one-on-one time. If you need need some questions answered about the Bible, um, you can freely ask that and not be embarrassed. Um, It's just a good time to hang out and learn the Word of God. You know, so please, please, please join those lift groups. Austin is amazing. He's leading that group. And so um, just, I challenge you, just wake up a little earlier on Sunday mornings and come join. Also, what are we doing Sunday night? What is Sunday night? What are we celebrating Sunday night? Pastor's birthday. I love birthdays, but I am so excited that we are going to get to celebrate as a church family pastor's birthday. So basically, Sunday night, there's not going to be a service. We're going to hang out. We're going to eat some food. We're going to eat some cake. And we are just going to celebrate pastor and the fact that he was born. And we're just so thankful for our pastor, right? Um, So don't forget about that. Um, This, sorry, um... Pastor Dave decided um, to bring back a competition. How many of you guys are competitive? I'm competitive. I don't like to lose. Nobody else in this building besides me is competitive. Come on, guys. I need you guys to be competitive. I need you guys to come up with the most creative, most amazing, most wonderful way to show off your HDWC T-shirts. Okay? So, last time, man, we had people hanging off the roofs, 
We had people going on fire trucks. I mean, people were going all out for this, right? So um, I challenge you, get your HGW um, t-shirt and wear it and go somewhere and be creative. Take some pictures, get that, um, get that to us so that you can be entered into this contest, okay? It's exciting. I had fun with it last time. Like I said, I'm competitive. I don't like to lose. So anyways, you know, I did lose. I lost to Adriana, um, Adriana Church. She did a great job last time she was our winner. Um, but it's a lot of fun. So get your t-shirt and guess what? There's gonna be a prize. You guys like prizes? Um, $17.76 will go to the first place winner, plus a gold medal. So anyways, make sure that you um, are hooking up and getting those t-shirts pictures in, okay? Now with that being said, what time is it? Happy time. Happy time. And we have a very wonderful, amazing, godly man that is going to take up the offering for us tonight. And I am just so proud of Jose. I'm so proud of him. So here we go. Thank you. Hallelujah. All right. So she says it's happy time. I want to turn us over to Malachi chapter 3. We're going to go through verses 8 through 12. If you need a envelope for your offering, go ahead and raise your hand and one of the ushers will get it to you. And I'll be reading out of the NLT, but this particular passage of scripture is very well known for being the basis of our tithers' rights. So, as we get here to Malachi chapter 3, I want to say that tithing is probably one of the most important things we can do as believers. Personally, despite all of my changes of income, and I could go into that whole story, from high to low, I have always had more than enough because of us standing on these scriptures and what we'll go through here in just a few minutes. But it's so important. I want to stress that. It really is. Once you get that kind of, you get past the money thing and it turns into a heart thing, you get it past here and down into here, it really becomes out of love. It's not out of, okay, I just got to write out this 10% and oh, I just got to do this thing. No, no, it's, oh, I get to. I get to either bring it here or I get to pray over it in the computer and do it online or however it is. It's a get to, it's a want to, it's a, it's an exciting time, you know, it's real easy to kind of brush it off, especially, you know, I've been guilty of that, you kind of just, okay, I got to do it, oh, I had to stop myself and go, wait, this is holy, it says in Deuteronomy, the tithe is holy unto the Lord, and we're going to see a little bit here why I'm going to start in verse 8, should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me, this is the Lord talking to the children of Israel, but you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to cheat God. <laughs> you know, verse 9, you are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Whole nation. Imagine that. Whole nation. Verse 10, he tells us what to do now. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. Because remember, the tithe doesn't just all go to the preacher. It goes to keep these lights on, to pay for the wonderful electricity, for this blessed AC, to take care of all the little things that go around that we get to enjoy. So if you do, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great 
is so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Listen here, this is one of the only times the Lord will ever say, try it. Put me to the test. Put me to the test. You know, I did that about 10 years ago. And as I was saying earlier, it's become a love thing. He's shown up every single time when it seemed like we didn't have enough. When it seemed like, okay, I'm going to tell an interesting story. There was one time, and I, this is my fishes and love story of my life. I was back when me and Heather were first married back in 2013, and we were working at Chili's at the time, and so there was a lot of cash involved. So we were saving up cash for the rent, and we were in an apartment and so on. So I had counted. We needed $300. I had about 200 and I had one more shift. The rent was due like the next day, and I was just kind of, I don't want to say him and Han, but I was a little like concerned, and it was like, because with serving, sometimes it's hit or miss. You'll make it money one day, you'll make it money not, depending on, and especially at that time, the shift I was working didn't seem like it was going to come through that night when rent's due the next day, so we're short about $100 or so, and I had $200 in this little safe under our bed at the time, and I was reading my Bible that morning, well, that after, early afternoon, and I had counted, I knew it was $200 sitting there, right, and so I was reading actually through Mark 6, Mark 6, 33 says, you know, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. And for some reason I had this itch to just go count it again. I counted it already a bunch of times. And I kid you not, as I'm counting it, it counts to 300. I had counted this thing like five times before. And it, I got an extra five $20 bills somehow. And I was trying to tell myself, I'm like, no, I, okay, I miscounted. No. Like, and no, I knew without a shadow of a doubt in the deepest of, deep down in the inside of me, he just gave me $100. And I was like, whoa. That's like I said, that's my fishes and love story. But when you trust him, he will show up. That blessing, that open windows of heaven, things that you don't have room. It's like, oh man, I got to get rid of clothes because I'm getting more clothes. Oh, I got to get rid of food because there's more food. I got to give it to somebody else. It's, you know, you see it all the time. We're bringing clothes to each other all the time. (laughs) But anyways, I want to read verse 11 here because here's another half of these particular scriptures. Verse 11 says, your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. My footnote here at the bottom says, from the devourer, we're used to that particular translation in the King James. So our things will last longer. And your grapes will not fall to the vine before they're ripe. They will not fall from the vine before they're ripe. So our harvest will always come. They're not gonna, it's not just going to go away when we sow. It's, we're going to get a harvest. And verse 12 here, then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight says the Lord of Heaven's armies. People will look at you and go, wow, they can see it. They will see the fact that you're different. They will see the facts. Hey, man, that, hey, he says he's a Christian. He lives it. Look at that. He just got this new thing. And how's he doing that? I know how much he makes. You know, your boss is sitting there wondering, like, what in the world? They're just getting blessed left and right. So I just want to encourage you, as always, it's a step. It takes a step. And it's not just one week. You know, I laugh what some people say. One week of tithing isn't going to fix 30 years of bad decisions. But... It's a consistent, heart-filled effort to trust him with your money. Once you get that, once you get money out of the way, you realize, oh wow, he's going to take care of me no matter what. Like I love what it says in Matthew six thirty-three, or in just chapter six in general. It's a great read, but in the latter half of the verses, he cares so much about the sparrows that fall to the ground. Won't he care for you? If the flowers that get thrown, if he cares about those flowers that get thrown into the fire, won't he care for you? So why do you have so little faith? You know, it's Jesus calling you in that one. Man, 
you right between the eyes if you're <laughs> dealing with that and you're struggling with it. So it just comes down to trust. As I said to other people, faith boils down to trust. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? So I just want to leave you with that. So I'm going to actually have Katie start us off with the financial faith confession here. And we'll bring our tithes up to the offering. You can join us up here at the altar for worship. So as we bring the Lord's tithes and give offerings today, we believe you receive jobs or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth and business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs so I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously to the kingdom of God, promote the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on up to the altar, guys. He takes a place and stands in front of God on high. He speaks on our behalf because we don't have the right. He pleads before the God who judges hearts of men. Our mediator served the sentence for our sin. There is only Broke the bondage of our chains. We have redemption through the price that He has paid. He gave a life to purchase freedom from the fall. A mediator was the ransom for us all. There is only one God. There is
again. To salvation there is only
as I was asked to stand up here and speak tonight, uh, I immediately knew what I was going to talk about. And my title is not seeing people how not seeing people how Jesus sees people can hinder your love walk. Okay, um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit and then go back to that. So hold that thought, okay? Before I go into anything, I just want to tell you guys a little bit about Desiree before Christ, okay? Um, and then I'll, it will all come together, I promise, okay? Um, I have not always been the happy person that you see here today. Um, my life was not always the best life. Growing up was rough and hard, and love was not a word that was thrown around in my childhood. It was not thrown around in my teenage life. And when I got married, I really had to learn how to love because I had no clue what love was. Um, growing up was a little different. You know, I had my mom, um, who I love dearly. I love my mom. Um, and my dad, when I was real little, became missing. So he was just missing in action. So he disappeared, and to this day, we still don't know where or why or what's going on. It's, it's, a, it's a mystery. So I grew up with just my mom and my grandma, who, praise God for grandmas, because the only reason why I'm here today is because of my grandma. Um, I grew up with my grandma, and my grandma did show me love, um, but she, she was in and out of my life once I got older, so it wasn't like something I had all the time growing up, right? Um, I lived in Barstow. From the time I was born, I was born in Barstow Hospital, and then I, um, when I was in third grade, um, we moved to Riverside. We moved down below into that area, and that's when I, like, kind of separated from Grandma a little bit, came on, you know, vacations and spent when I was off school time with her, um, but that was, like, the only time I seen her. My mom worked really hard to support me. But where we lived, we had, like, no family, and we had, like, a handful of friends. And um, the handful of friends, I jumped around from, like, house to house to house to house because my mom worked all the time, so we needed a babysitter, right? Um, and it was always just me and my mom, you know, and like I said, my mom did the best she could. She was a single mom, and I was not the best kid. I was a bratty kid. So I was a, I want, I want, I want, and I knew how to manipulate and get what I wanted. I knew if I kept asking my mom for stuff, I'd get whatever I wanted. And my mom was just like, here, go ahead, you know, I'll buy it for you, I'll buy it for you. You know, so that's how she showed me her love is she'd buy me things. And I knew I could get away with it if I tried. Um, so it was just me and my mom, and when, oh, I don't know, maybe when I was about nine or ten, my mom met a best friend who became like family, and her family kind of became like family and kind of adopted me and took me in, and I was over at their house all the time, and, you know, they just, we became like family. However, I was always the one who was doing something wrong. Like, they always had something to complain about, about me, and I had to always, I felt like growing up, like I always had to defend myself. And I grew up with the attitude, well, I'll show you. You think that of me? I will show you. That's not true. You know, because nobody ever really stood up for me or anything. Um, my teenage years were a little bit more um, 
hard. My mom was out of my life for a period of time, and I was by myself. And during that time, I was on the streets, and I entered the thug life. I was, you know, gangster. And I seen and had to go through some things that really probably no teenager should ever have to see or go through. Um, I would keep a knife in my sock, and I carried things I shouldn't have carried for my safety, and I was mean, and I was bitter, and I was angry, and if you even looked at me the wrong way, we were going to fight on the street, because that's the lifestyle that I learned, and that's my lifestyle. That's how it was. That's just how you grew up. I was not ever allowed to show emotion. If you showed an emotion, you were considered weak. If you cried, you were considered a crybaby. And, you know, you'd get made fun of. Like, you just don't cry. You don't show anybody that they got to you. You don't show anybody emotion. So I grew up feeling like that, right? Like, I grew up with, like, no emotion. I actually had a closet that I, and I know this sounds, like, really crazy, but I had a closet that I would go into and cry if I needed to cry to where nobody in my household would see me cry. There was never a, um, here, come here, let me hold you, it's going to be okay. I didn't get that. Like, that was never anything that I got, you know. And so my aspect of life, the way I looked at love, was it didn't exist. You know, how could it, if this is how I'm getting treated, this isn't love. And one of the biggest lies the devil ever told me was, you are not worth loving. You are not worth loving. Ain't nobody ever going to love you. And I'm telling you, this got put into my heart at a very young age. You know, I just felt like, man, you know, like, and I knew Jesus because, you know, remember that praying grandma I was telling you about? I knew Jesus because she brought me to church. She brought me here to this church. You know, I was baptized. I was dedicated. I was, you know, my grandma was a faithful Christian lady. So I knew the Lord, you know, and I remember having conversations with him like, Lord, why? You know, why is this happening to me? Like, why do I feel so lonely? Why why do I feel like I shouldn't be here? You know, like, why do I feel like nobody is ever going to care about me? And during this teenage life, I was about 16 years old. Um, I had to jump from, like, house to house. Like, I was legit homeless. Like, I did not have anywhere to live. So I jumped around from house to house to house to house. Um, a lot of the time I would overdo my welcome and people would get upset and be like, I'm sick of her. I'm sick of, you know, I mean, I wasn't theirs, you know? So, um, it was really hard and I never wanted to show my emotion of being scared of where I was going to sleep the next night. You know, I just, I didn't want anybody to know. So I put up a front, you know, and, um, when I was 16 years old, this family took me in and they've always been family. I have known them and done things with them and Christmases and birthdays since, you know, I was, I was little. Um, but this family decided to take me in because they were like, enough is enough. Like, we cannot see you anymore live like this. Like, this is hurting us, you know. And they were wonderful, godly couple. Um, he, the, well, I call him my adopted dad. 
my adopted dad is a pastor and um, just a wonderful, wonderful man of God. And that is the first time in my life that I ever realized what love was. But I didn't understand this till I was older. Because, you know, when you're a teenager, you think you know it all, but you don't know it all. Um, so I, so they took me in. And they took me in like I was one of their own. You know, and they set all their kids down. And they're like, listen, this is what we want to do. Um, they had a teenage son who I think we're the same age. Maybe I'm older. Um, no, we're the same age. So they had a teenage son, and they, you know, made sure that it was okay with him and made sure everything was good. And never once while I lived in that household did I ever feel like I wasn't a part of the family. They took me on vacations. I, And I'm telling you, I grew up always feeling like people are doing this just because. You know, they feel sorry for me or, you know, I'm a bother, a bother. I'm bothering them, you know. They're doing it out of obligation. This family never once did that. Um, they were very faithful with going to church. So we had to go to church all the time. And um, he would, you know, my adopted dad would get to church early and he would pray, you know, and I got involved in the youth group and I did youth ministry and I um, sang with their band and um, whatnot. And it was just, it was a different experience and something that I had never felt in my life. You know, you grow up like that and you just, when you feel like nobody could ever love you, you know, and I'm so thankful for them. So if they are watching on Facebook, I hope you guys know that I love you and appreciate everything you've ever done for me. Um, so with that being said, um, I said all that to say that when you're in the world, you don't really understand what love is, right? Because the world views love very differently than how us as Christians should view what love is. So when I, later on, like, I moved out of their house and made some silly decisions and whatnot and turned from God and um, met my husband. And um, when I finally surrendered and gave my life to Jesus, because there's a difference, there's a difference between knowing God and then a difference when you have that relationship with God, right? So when I finally decided to give my life to Jesus and committed to being a member here at High Desert Word Center, um, I remember walking in here and being like, what is wrong with these people? They're like hugging each other. They're like, nobody. I, I remember one of my thoughts was, nobody is this happy. Like, nobody is ever, like, this is not, this is out of a movie. Like, nobody is ever this happy. And here I am today, and I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people that say, nobody is ever that happy, you know? But it's the love of Jesus, right? Because once you become saved, you're able to love. You're able to, to experience the love of Jesus, and it's just so amazing, you know? And so I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for Pastor Ms. P., you know, I'm so thankful for, the, you know, before COVID when we were able to go around and hug and handshake and all of that because it helped my life. But not only did it help my life, it helped my husband's life, you know, because if you think I was bad and mean, my husband was a hundred times meaner than I was. And he didn't like people. He did not like people. And he was just, just as bad and mean as I was. And when 
Jesus, like, I'm like, who are you? You're hugging people, and you're, like, excited about life. And, you know, um, when I tell people stories about my husband, Jesse, before he was saved, they're like, no way. No way. And I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> like, he, oh, thank you, Jesus, for saving him and loving him and, you know, all the things that you've done, that he, the Lord has done with him. Praise the Lord for that. So with that being said, um, I just thought that I would be kind of real with you guys tonight and talk about something that is just so deeply on my heart and something as Christians that we have to deal with every single day, and that's the love walk. That's loving people, right? People are not always easy to love. They're not. They're not. But us as Christians, it's our responsibility to be that light, be that love, to not be what the world sees, but to be that light of God. Because especially right now, we're in the end times. And the only way people are going to get saved is if they're drawn to that light and they're drawn to the love. So I'm going to be real with you guys tonight, if you don't mind. I'm going to talk about, you know, um, some stuff that I've experienced and that I've learned along my love walk adventure, you know, because to me, the love walk is one of the greatest commandments in the Bible, but it's also one of the hardest things to do, you know, and so it's just been in my Bible studies every day, you know, about just how to love people. You know, and so I came up with a title that not seeing people, how Jesus sees people, can hinder your love walk. And what I mean about that is point number one um, is how are you seeing people? You know, are you looking at their outward appearance? You know, maybe, you know, it's a it's a homeless man and he, you know, looks smelly and gross and doesn't look like he bathed and you don't want to go two feet near him because of that, you know. Maybe it's somebody who rubs you the wrong way and, like, you just don't like the way they talk. You don't like the way they present themselves, you know. Maybe it's somebody who um, is annoying, you know, you feel like they annoy you you know, because they talk so much, or it's always about them, or, oh gosh, here they come with their problems again, I gotta stay here for 20 minutes and listen how hard their life is, you know, there's people like that in our lives that sometimes we're looking at them for that, but we're not really looking at them through the eyes of God, we're not really seeing them the way Jesus sees them, so if you can turn with me to 1 Samuel 16, 7, kind of cheat and mark mark my stuff so that I'm not scrambling through while I'm talking, you know. Um, but it's really, really important to realize that God put something in each and every person that he created. The Bible tells us that nobody is a mistake and that everybody was created on purpose. So it's really, really, really important to remember that as Christians, to remember that no matter how much you're annoyed with somebody, no matter how much you don't want to talk to that person, no matter, you know, no matter what, that God has something for that person, you know, um, 
And so um, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see things the way you see them. Okay? God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at how long I took to get ready today or how much makeup I have on. He doesn't care if my eyebrows are on. Other people do, but he doesn't care if my eyebrows are on or not. You know, he doesn't care, you know, what your hair looks like, if you got the best haircut, if you got the best clothes, if you got the, you know, best kicks, the best shoes. You know, God doesn't care about those things. He cares about your heart. He cares about what is in the inside of you. He sees something in you. He sees, are you faithful? Are you caring? What, what their motives are, what they can be, you know, because sometimes our love walk is with people that aren't, aren't saved, you know, and he sees, you know, what they can be and what he wants them to be and what he's called them to be. And we become blinded when we don't take that opportunity to see them that way because we don't want to be bothered with it. Um, Jesus looked beyond the diseased bodies the social classes, the outward appearance, and he saw the heart of the individuals. He held hands with those dealing with leprosy. He took time to um, heal a woman um, of blood issues. Okay, Jesus crossed many barriers and did many interactions. He demonstrated amazing love that transformed and changed people's lives. Okay, Jesus seen the bigger picture, right? And I want you guys to think about this for a second because this is something real that the Lord told me. What if Jesus never showed me love? What if Jesus never showed you love? What if Jesus said, I'm not doing anything for these people. They're horrible. They keep making the same mistakes over and over and over and over and over and over. I am not dying on the cross for them. I am not giving them a second chance. I'm tired of them. I'm sick of them. I'm sick of their whining. I'm sick of their complaining. I'm sick of them, you know, always messing up. And then here I am, picking them back up again. And then they go do it again. I'm picking them back up again. I'm not dying on that cross for them. Where would we be today? Where would you be? But yet we can treat other people like that. And we can hinder and miss the opportunity of their lives forever changing because we want to look at them how we want to see them. But we don't want to look at them the way God sees them. We don't want to see what God sees in them. Whether it's jealousy, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, like we just push them to the side. You know, maybe it's a bad taste. You know, forever, you know, for me, I was homeless and um, me and my husband used to have to go to the streets and we begged for money. You know, and I know the game. I, my husband knows the game. And when I became saved, I had to remind myself of where I came from. I had to remind myself that I was no better than those people. I had to remind myself that that was once me. And if people weren't there for me and they didn't help me, I wouldn't be where I was at today. You know, so don't let just because you got out of something make you think that you're higher or better. You know, just... How are you seeing people? You know, and like I said, what if Jesus judged you by the outside? Where would you be? But he doesn't. He doesn't. 
point number two, and I actually have this in my email um, because I think it's funny and I like try to minister to people when I give them my email, is what would Jesus do? WWJD. What would Jesus do? Now, I work with a lot of different personalities. I work with a lot of different type of people. And I had to learn to see them the way God sees them. I had to learn what would Jesus do? How would Jesus help them? Let me tell you, I am notorious for driving in my car with the radio blasted, having a conversation with Jesus. And most of the time it's like, Jesus, take the wheel. I don't know what you're doing right now, but I no, I'm done. You know, and I don't know how many times, you know, there's people in my life, in my work life, that I'm like, Jesus, seriously, I'm done. Go handle them. And, you know, he lets me throw my tantrum. And then I hear him nice and loud, and he's like, stop it. This is what you're going to do. I'm like, God, I don't want to do that. They just went and told everybody all these awful things about me and said all these things. They look at me like I'm crazy. They don't want to listen to me. They're mean to me. I'm getting put outside in this area all the time because I'm not with a cool group that parties all the time. I'm getting treated this way. I'm getting treated that way. I am not buying them lunch. Not buying them lunch. I am not telling them they look pretty today because they don't look pretty. Their attitude looks ugly. But I have to stop and be obedient to the Lord. And I had to listen. And there was times where the Lord would tell me to do, like, some crazy things. Like, write them a note. Leave it under the register. You know, tell them, you know, that they're wonderful and beautiful. And, you know, and I'm like, that's creepy, God. They're going to think I'm creepy. And then they come up to me and they're like, you know, your note made me cry. That was the nicest thing anybody has ever done for me. I'm like, you don't think I'm crazy? (laughs) You know, it's just those little things of listening. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus interact in that action? You know, boy, with my marriage, let me tell you, I want to have the last word with my husband. I want the last word, and I want to be right. I don't want to be wrong. And the Lord told me one day, shut up. Quit talking. You're not getting through to him. Be quiet. Do what he asks of you with a smile on your face. Let me deal with him. And you stop trying to make him something you want him to be. And let me make him what I want him to be. And I'm like, ouch, God, that hurts. I really hope he doesn't watch this video later. I love you, honey. Love you. You know, with my kids. You know, like, again, I didn't know how to be a parent. I didn't know how to love You know, I didn't know how to do any of that. But the Lord had to teach me to love them the way God loves them. To not always be so hard on them and be like, what are you doing? You're messing your whole life up. You know, kind of back off and give them the advice. Tell them what to do. Go pray for them. Go pray that God, you know, works in their heart because I brought them to church and they know better and they know right from wrong and they know what they should be doing. You know, people in my life family members, 
you know, family members can be the hardest people to love, you know, and um, I am just so thankful that the Lord taught me how to love. Because of that, my husband's family is now saved and serving the Lord, you know, and it's just that example. It's just that example, you know, and so what would Jesus do? And I totally went off my notes. Sorry, guys. Um, What would Jesus do? Um, With that being said, let's go to Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, because he loves us, and offering himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. We need to imitate God. Like I said, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle that situation? You know, how would he, would he turn his back and be like, bye, see ya? Or would he help? Would he walk in love? You know, um, we need to allow God to work in us to walk in love. And then really quick, I'm going to touch really quick um, on 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And, um. We also need to be quick to forgive. You know, we need to make room for people's faults. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I mess up all the time. I'm not perfect. We need to make each room for each other's faults in the body of Christ and forgive quickly. Don't hold on to that grudge because it can hinder you. That root sits in of unforgiveness and it's not good. So we need to make sure that we're quick to forgive, um, and we make room for people's faults. So 1 Corinthians, oh, I thought I was there, and I wasn't there. Sorry, I'm over here talking. Um, 13, and this is the love chapter, and um, one of my favorite, favorite verses, and when I feel like I'm not loving, I will sit here and read this over and over and over and over and over until it gets here and in here. Love is patience. Let me just say, if you don't want patience, don't ask God for patience. Because he will give it to you. And, well, he's already given it to you. But, like, patience is rough sometimes. Being patient with people is rough sometimes. But love is patient and kind. One of the things I love about my dear sweet husband is that when I like to go grumble or be mad or be frustrated about something, he likes to say, well, let's look at it from this point of view. What kind of day do you think they had? Maybe they're not feeling good. Maybe they're fighting with their spouse. Did you look at it from this point? husband I just wanted to be mad and upset and now you're right and now I have to go be kind you know because sometimes we tend to look at it the only way we want to look at it and look at it from one side 
you know, but we need to look at it from the other side. Maybe they didn't mean to hurt us. Maybe they didn't mean to be stinkers. Maybe, you know, they were just having a bad day. Maybe, you know, as they were coming into church, their kid threw a screaming fit, you know. They pooped all over them. I don't know, you know. Their diaper exploded. I don't know. But maybe they were going through something, you know. So be kind. Um, Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. And I like to look at that word jealous because we shouldn't be jealous of each other. You know, we shouldn't. We should be proud and excited and, you know, thankful for everything God's brought each and every one of our brothers and sisters through, you know. Or rude. It does not demand its own way. That one was a hard one for me. You know, especially with my husband. Remember I told you that story? I wanted to be right and I wanted my way, you know, but sometimes you got to compromise. It's not irritable which is another one that, like, went right here, especially when I get off work and I come home and the kids are like, Mom, Mom, Mom. And I'm like, five seconds. Give me five seconds to walk through the door. My kids are notorious for the second they hear me go beep, beep on my car, they are right there by the door. And they're teenagers. You know, you would think they wouldn't do that anymore, but they're right there, excited about their day. So I had to learn that I needed to not be irritable with that and appreciate that my kids were happy that Mommy was home. You know, and they wanted to share their life with me. It keeps no record of being wronged. No record. It doesn't say, well, five months ago you did this. Two months ago you did this. And five hours ago you just did this. No, it keeps no record. No record. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins. Love Never gives up. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I am so thankful that Jesus didn't give up, give up on me. You know? We can't be giving up on people. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every single circumstance. You know? So that's, you know, that's just awesome. You know? Um, and the way the world views love is so different. You know? Because the world is, it's a give or take. If I tell you I love you, you should be giving me flowers or candy or taking me out, you know, somewhere or providing for me or whatever. But God's love isn't like that. God's love is different. And it lives inside of us the day that we become saved. So we need to work daily on our love walk and not expect anything back in return. Don't just do things because you want something back. Do it because you love them. And you don't expect anything back from them, you know. Um, The more um, we ask God to help us in our love walk, the more our life will help change others. Um, I just want to backtrack really quick that you can't love others if you don't love yourself. You first need to love yourself, and you first need to forgive yourself. No matter what you've done in life, when you ask Jesus to come into your life, guess what? He forgot about it. He forgot about it. So you guys, you need to forget about it. Stop throwing it up. Stop telling yourself you're useless, you're low life, you did this, you did that. You need to forgive yourself and love yourself so that you can begin begin to love others. And then my final point, and I'll hurry because it's almost 8 o'clock. Um, I didn't think I was going to have enough time, and then I just got up here and started talking. <laughs> um, finally, examine yourself 
daily. And that last verse that I just gave you is a way that you can examine your love walk. Are you patient? Are you kind? Are you respectful? Are you irritable? You know, you can go through all those things and check your love walk and 